Welcome to episode 228 of The Art of Living Proactively. And my guest in today's episode is Luke Watts, and we discuss about revolutionizing cancer care. Luke brings a unique perspective to the conversation, having experienced the impact of cancer firsthand in including losing people that he knows. And he firmly believes that some cancers are preventable and that individuals have the power to take more responsibility for their health. He shares his observations on the effects of health coaching and noting a significant difference in outcomes between those who have a health coach and those who do not. He emphasizes the value of health coaching, but acknowledges that many people maybe do not understand its worth and he encourages others to try it and highlighting the low cost and commitment involved. And the conversation also touches on his experience at Kamalaya, where he witnessed the connection between chronic illnesses and lifestyle. And the holistic approach really focused on improving lifestyle factors, you know, such as diet, exercise, sleep quality, emotional well-being. So we're going to find out a lot more about that. We go into quite a few different areas around cancer and his other project, The Tree of Life. So that's all in today's episode 228 with Luke Watts. Don't forget to subscribe and it'll be great if you do like this podcast, The Art of Living Proactively. Please do leave a, a review for us. It really helps for more people to find out about it. If you're listening, watching this on YouTube, maybe you'd like to subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Hope you enjoy this week's episode with Luke Watts. Okay. Welcome to another edition of The Art of Living Proactively. My guest today, Luke Watts. How are you, Luke? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. And we're, like we were just saying when we were discussing, we were having a conversation before the recording started. This is one of the few times of the year where the weather where I am is the same as weather in the fabulous place where you live. I absolutely the same. I don't feel so guilty. Normally I have to have this screen background off because people get a little upset seeing the palm trees. But right now, as you said, we're actually sharing positive weather war stories. It's really lovely, yeah. So can you inform the listeners of where it is that you are? Oh, okay. I'm on a little island called Kosamui, which is in the Gulf of Thailand. And I've been coming to this island now 20 years now. And yes, it's a very magical, very personal place for me. It's where I embarked on my understanding of an Asian point of view and way of life and how their approach to particularly preventative medicine I believe we could learn, still continue now, learn a lot from when it comes to our Western cultures. And I'm always amazed. I love to share when I do come back to London, the things that people are talking about here and how easy it is to actually to do it. Yeah. So when you first went out there, what were you doing work-wise when you first went there? Oh, when I first went out there, I was the backpacker, right? I was the guy who read the beach like a lot of people had and went to the search already and got to Copenhagen. It's been anybody who knows about those islands over here. And yeah, and I just fell in love with it. I, I hoped at one point that an opportunity presented itself, I would be able to, to live out here. And um, it did 15 years ago. And I came over here with the, the intention to support a health and well-being organization had been set up a, a place down on the south of Kosamui and run by two wonderful human beings. And I was asked to, I guess, professionalize it, one of the better phrase, make sure the bills get paid. Um, a lot of these uh, spas and medical retreats, when they're run by wonderful humans like, like John and Karina are, 
their focus or be not necessarily the most savvy. And I think a lot of these wonderful places fold because they probably didn't have that bit of a business acronym to just make sure the bills get paid. Mm-hmm. And I'm great that I paid a small part in that. And the company is called Camomile, which is in Cosmoy down on the south, and it's been going ever since. And I think it's regularly rated one of the best spas in Asia every year. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago now. And so I'm wondering how did, so living in a place like that, how did the cancer coach come about? Oh, yeah. So we'll skip in ahead. My experiences at Kamalaya were that a lot of our illnesses, particularly the chronic illnesses, are related to lifestyle. And a lot of what Kamalaya would teach him and what they were delivering in terms of their holistic practice was getting us back to our raw yeah, roots, the food that we eat, so the exercise movements, quality of our sleep, how we process stress and emotional well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And then by having seen that work in a variety of ailments, it's also, and also things like weight loss and diabetes and stress and burnout, uh, I was approached by an American doctor who said that he would like to come to Thailand to set up a retreat, focusing more on more serious submissions. And would I be interested in helping him do that? And so we did that together and he was working with people with cancer. And the cancer coach didn't, wasn't the name, the cancer coach. What it was that because people were traveling with overseas to come and experience our treatment modalities, um, and part of their, actually 70% of the time they spent with us was actually workshops. They would make their own breakfast, lunch, and dinner under the supervision of the dietitian. They would have access to personal training, reach them at where they are at in their physical capability. They would have access to mindfulness practices two, three times every day, et cetera, et cetera. So the cancer coach was really our aftercare program. It was now that you're going back to your country, now you're going back to your environment. How can we help support you implement what you just learned? Which under the bubble of our center made our way up like quite easy to be compliant. But then when you're trying to transfer that back home, so cancer coaching or aftercare, as we referred to it as, was essentially health coaching for people as they returned back home to apply what they had learned with us. And we did that very successfully, and we felt that the outcomes of our treatments was greatly enhanced by that very comprehensive aftercare program. So when COVID hit, and people could not travel to our treatment centers anymore. We repositioned that service to be one of, if you can't come to us, how can we get over this information to you whilst you're in your country margin where maybe you are going down the chemo, radio, surgery approach? So it became one treatment support and aftercare where we would be looking at lifestyle interventions that could reduce side effects and long-term side effects from treatments, complications from treatments and aiding their recovery. And then into sort of survivorship and aftercare, how to build a long, sustainable way of life that has been shown to help and assist people in long-term recoveries. And we have learned that once you finish cancer treatment, you are very susceptible to other chronic illnesses, including heart disease. Mm-hmm. I believe it's six times more, or the risk is now six times greater after 
cancer treatments, you know, and then you obviously have insurance cancer and the build of the code. So the cancer coach was essentially a product that we've been doing for a very long time under a slightly different positioning that then became a full product and service that we were delivering during COVID times to help people who could not travel and get access to our approach to cancer treatment. Yeah, that was it. It was going great. It's, it seems to have really grown recently, and it's not just, it's, it's in quite a few countries around the world, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're in 11 right now. I'm always expanding. Yeah, it's, it's going very well. Um, and there is no boundary. Cancer does not discriminate between your way of knowing the world and your authenticity, and it doesn't. So there's no reason why the approach that we have in a cancer coach could not be deployed anywhere. Language and cultural sensitivities and understanding towards certain lifestyles would have to be integrated into the program. But apart from that, the core message of eating well, exercising and movement regularly, coping with stress, anxiety and depression, getting good quality sleep, the universal. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, you've touched upon it already, but the biggest differences between your approach to helping people with cancer and the typical from an England perspective, the NHS approach, how does it differ? I think the NHS is overburdened. I think we can say that quite comfortably without upsetting anybody. And I think their focus is very much on the intervention side of things at the point of diagnosis. Where the cancer coach can offer tremendous support and value to anybody who's going through cancer. Or let me take a step back. Anybody who is experiencing chronic illness or a reduced quality of life, so prevention, could benefit from working with our approach to health coaching. Prevention is always better than cure. And even though it might not be top of mind for a lot of people, if they are currently dealing with an ailment that can be treated, in inverted commas, pharmaceutically, and I say that then not with being disrespectful, but quite often, the pharmaceutical approach is treating the symptoms. It's dealing with people that have symptoms of chronic disease, not necessarily the root causes. So health coaching, in my opinion, could bookend the amazing work that the NHS does by giving people an opportunity to prevent the onslaughts of cancer by treating a root cause some of those lifestyle issues that are giving them challenges right now, are reducing their quality of life. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, once treatment has been completed in the NHS again, because of the resources at their disposal, there isn't a long-term continuum of care strategy. So once somebody has left, it's not uncommon. And it sounds very uh, supportive, but it's not uncommon for someone in the oncology team to say something like, go back to your way of life, we'll go back to your normal life as much as possible, we'll see you in three to six months. Now, anybody who has decided to understand or learn how lifestyle plays a part in that disease, not the best advice. And there's no disrespect to the oncologists. They haven't had the training. But where our health coaches can add tremendous value is to be picking up those people at that cliff edge once treatment is finished. I just want to touch on a little point, Tony, if you've indulged me. It's quite common uh, I've heard and I've read and people have explained to me that at the point in which treatment finishes, 
is a really emotional, almost I use the word trauma advisedly, not in its, in, in, in its medical sense, but it's just a very overwhelming experience. Because up until that point, quite often from the moment of diagnosis, they're straight into a treatment regimen. And therefore, like, everything is prescribed, everything is done for them. And quite often, that person hasn't had a chance to process what is happening to them, they're very much focusing on what's happening now. So at the point in which treatment finishes and all of those scheduled appointments start to dissipate and that support circle of family and friends who have been with you have had to go back to work, go back to their lives. At that point, you as an individual are really quite vulnerable. But there really is, as far as I can see in the UK, very little support for that person, even at a mental spiritual perspective, let alone a physiological one. So the our approach to calculating people with cancer adds tremendous benefit if it could be supported in the way that he finished treatment. And we're talking three hundred and sixty thousand new cases a year in the UK right now. That's a lot of people that could be picked up post treatment and offered in our approach to health coaching. Is it harder to get people in the UK to, I guess what's going through my mind is in, in the US and many other countries, people are used to paying for health. But in the UK, there's this approach where everything should be free because of the NHS. So therefore, getting people to accept something like the cancer coach, is it more difficult in the UK? I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. There is a culture in our country that health spending is, is contributed by tax and is therefore then paid for. And when we get sick, we can go to these places and we can be treated and cured. And you're right, in places like the US and other countries, there is more of a union between the individual's responsibility for their own health and willing to pay for specialist services and those that they get through their insurance providers. Yes, so the Cancer Coach as a standalone program where an individual works with an experienced health coach on a one-to-one basis and is paying for that product out of pocket it is not that popular in the UK, which leads on to fear of mind, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about and the reasons behind why we change. I feel like I'm just hijacked your talk, but, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, but, you know, our new program is, in, in some respect, age of has been directly influenced by the fact that People aren't willing to necessarily pay in the UK, and yet it is a real big problem. You're saying every 90 seconds, I believe, the statistic is right now, someone's dying yes. those disease. And yet the WHO have consistently reported that 30 to 50% of all cancers are completely avoidable. Right. Lifestyle. Yes, there's a lot of work for us to be done, and it just require a bit of a cultural shift. I think the pandemic has made people aware in the UK a little bit more uh, that they need to take a bit more responsibility for their own health and well-being because the NHS is overwhelmed and continuing to spend is not going to be the answer. Mm -hmm. I think it's referred to as personal agency, taking a little bit more responsibility for ourselves. You touched upon the tree of life, so tell us more about that. Yeah, so Tree Online is a online on-demand program, online program that is an education-led, clinically approved approach to health and well-being 
in the way of disease prevention, support, and recovery. From a cancer perspective, we are providing individuals with an opportunity to access seven very well-crafted modules of education that you go through at your own pace. And within all of that scope, there are additional resources that you can have access to. You can reach out and speak to health coaches if you need anything explaining to you as to what we are talking about here or how is that applicable applicable to me and how I could actually make that part of my new way of life. We're very excited about it. It's available now. It was released about a week ago to the general public. And yes, so where where the cancer coach is a direct relationship between coach and an patient or client, which has suggested to be a bit of a cost barrier. What we've done with the Tree of Life is to almost invert that relationship. So as a member of the Tree of Life's client, you get access to all of this education, step-by-step guide in terms of how do I process my emotions and stress? How do I look at a more, a less dangerous diet, a more effective clean living diet? How do I bring exercise and movement into my lifestyle? How do I do all those things that we've been talking about? And then through the program, if you want to then reach out to the health coach, then that opportunity exists. So we're hoping that the entry levels of people will be, there'll be far many, far more people doing it because the cost to entry is a lot lower than actually working directly one-on-one with a health coach. And, and when we talk about, if you don't mind saying, when we talk about people saying health coaching is expensive or people choose not to work with a health coach in the UK because it's the money, I think if you're diagnosed with something like cancer and somebody is there to say, I can help you navigate this in the best possible way and make it as, as, you know, make this process of recovery a lot easier for you, mm-hmm. then to find the money for a health coach is a lot, it can be done. So it's not a cost thing with health coaching in the UK. It's we don't perceive the value. We have a problem with attributing value to health coaching. And I'll give you one example, because I have a business coach in the UK, and he does not blink twice, charging me £250 an hour mm. for a business coaching session. Uh-huh. But health coaches in the UK typically are being charged 50 60 £70, £80 an hour. Yeah. Mm. And I've sent this to my business coach, my health coaches who I work with, and we pay a lot more than that, guys. We pay. We like to try. We try to book the trend with that. We're trying to show that to you. But you know, my health coaches I work with, in my opinion, invest more in their education to get to the point that they are at mm-hmm. than you have as a business coach. Right. It's just perception yeah. that you are valued at two hundred and fifty pounds an hour, and a health coach is only seventy pounds an hour. So mm-hmm. our job, Tony, and I don't you know, with our conversations, we need to change people's perception. Mm-hmm. on the, the tree value of health coaching. And I think tree of life, with the numbers that it's going to be able to attract and the large populations of people we can work with because we reduce the cost to entry is going to be allowing us over time to show how coaching works and it is contributing to population health. And I'm very excited about that. I think it's going to show some great results. You mentioned that you're working in 11 countries. How is there much of a difference in people's perception and reaction to health coaches in all those different places? 
That's a really good question. I'd say that on one end of the spectrum, you've got the states where professional coaching is a discipline that is well-rooted and people actively seek it. Mm. And we're talking health coaching, but this could be like personal training or business coaching or voice coaching or relationship advice and coaching. The, the actual idea of paying a professional to improve your way of life or your outcomes is more ingrained. Right. So in the sense, they have a very active participation and they're, they're very engaged in the process. They understand the two-way relationship of this coach is not telling me what to do. They're giving me opportunities to do. And then it's still up to me to actually give it a go and report back on what I found was good, bad, and different, exciting, et cetera. So just the concept, the, the idea of having a professional coach, it's more ingrained in the States. Mm. In the UK, the UK perhaps is the other end of the spectrum when it comes to the Western world. And my, I'm sure people might disagree, but just in my experiences, to say the UK with the NHS, which is a wonderful institution, has in some way, and I'm going to say it, so people will call you, you have met with this, and I have spoken to quite influential people in, in, in the UK. In some regards, the NHS is an enabler of bad behavior because it has this actual, when things go wrong, it's just my personal view, but I think because the NHS is, and I don't believe from what I've read, and I've read a lot about the history of the NHS, I don't believe when it was conceived, where it is now was is the intended inception. You know, it was an accident, an emergency at the point of need. It wasn't that I don't believe to cover what it's covering at the moment. Right. But culturally speaking, as I said, because we don't have a, I don't know, a, a cause and effect, individual responsibility of our own health, mm. the NHS is, in inadvertently has contributed to this culture of just keep going until things go wrong and then go and see your GP. Right. Yeah, and then in the middle, you've got countries like Australia, which have a bit of a hybrid system, a little bit public, a little bit private. And also the employers take a lot more responsibility in Australia for their, their employees. So they actively contribute. Singapore, probably a little bit more towards the States in terms of personal agency. But I think the culture of people in Singapore is unique on, on, on its own. They're very fired up to be the optimal human being and can be. It's no surprise that some of the best education institutions in the world are in Singapore for a country that is so tiny. It has, it has invested in its population, it's invested in its people, and it's come out to be a leader in, in the world for that. Canada, a little bit UK, a little bit state. So, yeah, it's a really good question. It's, but I do feel the tide is turning. As I said, I do feel the COVID and the unbearable strain. And I was reading recently that in the UK, people are saying that it might take another five years in order for them to clear the backlog uh, of, 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 you know, including cancer. Mm. So at the end of the day, I think we have to take more responsibility for ourselves. And if you are interested in doing that, something like the tree of life, like the tree of life, is a really good way to start. The way we've broken each module down, the way we've 
we've explained it step by step, the way that we give access to professionals if you want them. And the other feature we haven't mentioned is the community. As a member of Trio Line, you can access other members in the program. So you can share your own story and, and support from one another. And this isn't a unique concept. I mean, this is Weight Watchers. People in the UK listen to this, they'll go, oh, it's like Weight Watchers, but digital. It is. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like Narcotics Anonymous. These programs in of themselves are not perfect. There are problems with things like AA and NA, but they are documented. But what they are very successful at doing, and that's what we want to do in Tree of Mind, is they bring together a consistent community of people that really want the same thing. Hmm. So our colleagues, not unless it's surprise and Weight Watchers, it's Lose and Weight. In Tree of Life, it's about adopting the way of mind that's healthier in terms of preventing disease, getting over tummy disease, and then becoming resilient to disease. So, yeah, it's not a unique concept, but I guess the way we package things makes it very unique and um, very powerful. There's a lot of studies in the last few years about the power of community, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's some really good books out at the moment. I forget the name of one of the guys. I actually met him in the face of the States. Uh, But he talks about... James Maskell? Called Library. I know it's a big critique act. That's what we were talking about. That's what I love. The big looking hands. Which is, if anyone's listening to this, Friday the 16th of June, and the ashes is about to start in seven minutes. And that's how committed I am to Tony and his podcast that I'm missing the first ball of the ashes to do this interview, which is all good. Yeah, him and others who have forged a conversation that, and again, I don't want to dismiss what they are in our show. But this isn't new. The, the long phrase is like, it takes a village to raise a child. Right. This is the, if anything, we're always trying to wind back some of the areas of community health that we knew weren't. And I need to stress for those who don't already know that I'm not medically trained. That's not my background. And so whenever I say it's not something that anyone's listened to here and to run with it, but what I can do is share my experiences as somebody who's done this for a very long time. And I remember as a child, I don't even know this policy anymore. But we used to have chicken pox parties. I don't know if you had one of those times. But if a kid on the street had chicken pox, we'd all be around to this guy's house. And we would all be expected to catch chicken pox so that we could get over it and move on, right? And uh, I don't know, there's just something in that uh, lost, lost form of community health, supporting one another. Yeah. And I guess Tree of Life is trying to embrace that, but in a more realistic way and embracing the digital aspect, the way in we live our world. And that, I guess, what we created as well is a COVID-proof program. If this, you know, something like this ha- ever happens again, Tree of Life will be sustainable because it is 100% remotely driven. So I guess that's also something to consider is the, the way our world is. Most people are in agreement that something like COVID or maybe even another strain of it could happen again. And so we're having to make sure now. Yeah, I don't want to get into those theories. But I think a lot of people are saying, yeah, these kind of epidemics, pandemics are going to happen a little bit more regularly. And that is essential that there are 
those services, including ours, that do not alter yeah. when those kind of things happen. This is a 100% online mm. program that has, as I said, access to professionals and other and peers. So that we'll do it. We'll save the, uh, the COVID for another podcast. Yeah. Well, I've seen you speaking in a couple of webinars over the last few months, and I was really impressed by how passionate you are about what you speak about. And I wondered why, what, why do you think it is you become so passionate about it? I guess from the cancer perspective is that I've seen what it does. I've seen the disease. I've lost people. I'm sure lots of people listening to this have lost people to this disease. And it is a very wasteful disease in terms of how you see the people go through it and, and sometimes really quickly from what they were to, you know, to what, what, what they are or what us. So I've lost a lot of people to it. I've seen and I've read that a lot of cancers, as I said, are preventable. That we do have the power within ourselves to take more responsibility and to alter the destiny. I've read a lot and I've studied a lot of epigenetics as opposed to genetics, and again, feel empowered by that. I can do this, and other people can do this. Yeah. And then I guess from a cancer coaching perspective, I've seen how health coaching can be the difference between somebody who's going to go through treatment as a passenger and just see what happens, and those who have a more introspective point of view on what's happening. And, is, and are encouraged to do something, then without that health coach, quite often those good intentions don't materialize. Mm. So I'm extremely happy because I've seen it. I don't know if that kind of sums it up as best I can. I've seen the effects of the work that people like you do and others in health coaching. And yeah, I, I just sing loud and loud and just, I just hope people are listening. And it's just, it is, it's a wonderful discipline. And Tree of Life, if I can just bring back to that, is an extension of that passion because I know people can afford health coaching. They just don't understand the value. So but we can encourage you to try Tree of Life because it's very low entry point, cost-wise and also commitment-wise. And you get to meet some of the health coaches on your online journey. Mm-hmm. Then you will understand the value proposition better. And you're then going to engage in those services. Yeah. So, yeah. And something else you're, you're passionate about is your, and you've already touched upon it in a few of the things you said, but your views. Cricket. On, <laughs> apart from cricket, your views on being proactive and about how important it is to be proactive. It, it, it is. And I think I will say it, and it might upset a few people, but I think that a lot of us have been sleepwalking when it comes to the way that we're being influenced to live our lives. Mm. It is easy to listen to these messages that come from either marketing or, or government or basically anyone that has an, an interest. And it's easy to go along with the ride and to eat the food they want us to eat and be lethargic and to... I'll share one story if I may. So I was in London earlier this year and I talked to a friend of mine who works in the city and he's super stressed and he doesn't get much sleep and complaining about his health conditions and he knows what I do. And I think we go to a restaurant and he asked the waiter, we were just facing our orders, and he says, oh, is this item gluten-free? And I looked at him and I said, well, why? He says, oh, I've got this kind of intolerance to gluten. I said, 
But I ended up okay, which is fine. I understand that. But you allowed yourself to become tolerant to lack of sleep, lack of exercise, constant stress, eating crap, and dealing with the gut health issues and the toilet issues. I don't want to get disgusting on your podcast, but you've allowed yourself to be tolerant to all of these things that are making you less than optimal. But you've decided upon yourself to ask this waiter, this meal as as exclusive. That just seems a real big disconnect from me that we have grown tolerant to so many more pressing issues in life and intolerant to something as benign as gluten that we had in our diets for millennia. Uh We've eaten bread for quite a long time. So I don't want to say I'm not a doctor, I'm not a dietitian, I don't want people to get upset with what I just said. Take from what I just said as a message, then regardless of the gluten thing, just that this person took it upon himself to focus on that part mm. rather than all the other areas of life that he has decided to become tolerant to. So, yes, there's a lot in personal agency. There's a lot. People need to be woken up that at least the way that they have their sleepwalking into a pharmacological disease care, it's not healthcare, it's disease care way of life. And I was reading somewhere recently, Tyler, that there was a wonderful chart. I actually put it on my link, I'm sure, a few months ago that I found that had on the x-axis and the vertical, sorry, no, the x-axis on the horizontal was the age, was the age of the person. And the y-axis on the vertical was their, essentially like their vitality, their energy levels there. And uh, on this chart, it was from the United States. And what we saw was that the health, the relative health of that person, it almost dropped off a cliff at the age of 37. And it was suggesting that a lot of health conditions are hitting these people at the age of 37. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I are a little a few years older than 37. <laughs> and it breaks my heart that these young people aren't having such drop-off in quality of life at such a young age. Yeah. And I would like to think the tree of life and other people, and other things that we do, we should be trying to keep that line as horizontal as possible for as long as we can. So yes. not let the line drop to 37 mm-hmm. and head down towards the bottom of the graph, but try and keep that line as long as we can. And then when we're in our 80s and 90s, then let it drop and let us die, let us die in our sleep, whatever it is. So I think the evidence says that it's all possible. Right. If you want to do it, and when you don't have to be here, Tony, and there's uh, people that I'm sure we both have in our lives who have a very fundamental approach to life, you must do it this to have that my way of life. It really ain't. It's silly little things. Like, I, I feel like I'm overthinking your podcast, but my man would say to me, never eat anything that needs advertising. Now, I spoke to you, you stand at the supermarket, next time you go, and before you walk through that door, just challenge yourself not to buy anything in the supermarket that needs advertising. Right. Your whole experience in that supermarket will fundamentally change. Yeah. Now, that's not extreme, is it? I'm not telling you to eat a salary, celery juice, but no, just don't eat anything that needs influence. I don't remember a piece of broccoli ever being advertised during... Football, football. So just have a different view on life 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's not extreme. It's always kind of going back to basics. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'm getting passionate about being passionate. That seems a bit messed up, doesn't it? <laughs> so in, if things all went exactly to plan in an ideal world, how would you like to see the Tree of Life in, say, five years' time? That's a really great question. I think, yeah, and we're talking about the UK, right? Obviously and also maybe for other countries as well, because this podcast goes out in many other countries as well. Oh, wonderful. Okay, let, let, me, let me do a UK one, and then, because I think this is probably where, where it's going to be probably most challenging, as we've mentioned before. I'll, I'll paint a little picture. So I believe that the NHS is like a monorail. It's a single line with this huge bullet train on the top of it, and this bullet train is getting heavier and faster. It's having to go faster and faster. And that rail is, is getting weaker, and then it's having to travel further and further, and it's having to cover more and more carriages. It's a single rail. That's where we seem to be going. Mm. And what I would like the trio to be able to do, and, what, and the health coaches and the cancer coach, is to strongly suggest that monorail should actually be a dual rail, like a train train, where each rail is of equal importance, of equal strength. But one rail is dedicated to intervention medicine, and one rail is dedicated to prevention and recovery. Mm. And the sleepers are the integrative interconnections of our health and well-being. So the rail of prevention and recovery is more about personal agency and taking responsibility for your own actions. Mm. And that will reduce the burden on the other rail that needs to be there still for intervention. And I just want to clear something up. If I'm never involved in an accident, God forbid, if I have a car accident, I don't want somebody giving me essential oils, right? I just make that point. I want the serious stuff with the serious people. But if I find in the line having a few gut issues or things that just don't feel well, or I, just, I don't feel like I'm having good sleep, I don't want to be prescribed a sleeping pill. Right. I want to look at the root causes of why am I not sleeping? Is it because my diet is not great, I'm eating inflammatory foods or caffeine-rich foods before I'm going to bed, or my mind is not restful, or I have too many electronics in my bedroom. I want that other line, that other rain, to be on me. And that's where the health coaches and the support and prevention and recovery medicine really should be. That's what I'd like to see. And I guess by extension worldwide, I would like from a tree of life cancer care for people to understand and recognize the importance of health coaching and that we do not have to sleep into these ever-increasing risks of cancer incidents. You know, we can't rely on spending more and more money on the research for treatment. Let's commit some funds into prevention. Let's consider areas that we know that can have that are detrimental to people's well-being. And let's see if we can correct them. And it will need intervention from all phases. It's going to need government to buy into this. It's going to ourselves to buy into this culture. As I said, wake up and realize, let's do something yourself. And it is going to upset people. The food industries, the farming industries, they're going to be very upset if we start talking about processed foods and food time sugars and dangerous fats and dangerous salts. And what's the inevitable, well, what's the alternative, Tony? I mean, that, that quotation, there are 360,000 new cases of cancer every year right now. Mm. That same organization that quotes those numbers 
are also saying we will go up to 500,000 right. every year in the UK by 2040. Right. So you can't tell me that the status quo is the way to go. I mean, that's a bit of a bunch, but it, it can't, right? Because they're already preconditioning us to say, oh, yes. and we're going to get to half a million, and therefore, please don't make money so we can do more research into treatment. No, how about looking at that 140,000 growth, let alone the 360 that are already there? Right. Let's see if we can reverse some of that 140, right? That's my point of view. That's where I'd like to see tree of life and health coaching changing the conversation that recovery, prevention and recovery is the way to reverse these fears, not more research and money in treatment options. But it takes us as well. We need to take responsibility. You talked about the education element with the tree of life. And so I wonder, are you aware of any countries who, as far as education is concerned, actually instill this in children's education about being proactive around health? That's a really great question. Um, I don't know of any specifically. I can tell you in Asia, um, in Thailand and Southeast Asia, until recently, where um, the family dynamic was grandma, parents, kids, all under the same room. Mm. And grandma therefore might take on more of the responsibilities of cooking, for example. And she would be making sure that abortion sciences were appropriate for the whole family. Right. That, that was very, I don't know, you can't, because she's making some time over here as well. And then we moved from that to this culture where, you know, the fast food or convenient food isn't there. You don't even say fast food now. You go into many waitros in the UK and you've got your meals bagged and things like that. And, and again, without, going too much down the wrong road here, our approach to consumerism has fueled the fact that mum and dad now have to hold down full-time jobs in order to maintain this, what we think is a better way of life. But as soon as you do that, you have to just, you're, that does restrict what you can do at home. And I was, the, I read somewhere quite recently that in, in, in London, we are spending, on average, less than three hours a week preparing our own meals. But we spend five hours a week trolling social media, commenting on other people's meals. Right. I'm in a really long air, isn't it? Yeah, so the answer to your question is probably not as much as it should be. I know in the UK we met a couple of old storms with the Jamie Oliver stuff that he did. That was over a decade ago now. Mm. That was over Yes, I think it's intervention of kids, getting them more involved in what their food is as a source, not necessarily as a cleaned up piece of chicken breast at the supermarket, right. actually giving them involved so they know what the food is mm. and try and get them engaged in preparing their own meals. I think that would be a great way to, to start. Yeah. So I was moving on. So before we, before we finish, is there a question I always ask everyone? And I love the answers I get to this. So is there a book that's really moved you for any reason and why? I recently, in the last three months, I reread 1984. And this will be, I think, the fourth time I've read it since I was introduced to it at school. And every time you read it, you can see it through the lens of where we are right now, modern culture. And it continues to amaze me that when I read that book, and we talk about sleep modeling, we talk about influencer 
our big brother, essentially, and, and the fact that, you know, we, we have a more drone-like existence. Mm. But every time I read that, I do feel more and more that it's relevant. And, and but you, we have to look out for those, like, the protagonist characters in the book and try and shake it up. I think it's all upon us that we don't want to go down this um, path of inevitability. For those who have gone with 1984, you really do need to. I think there's a shocking installment, and this is true. I think it was written in the 30s, wasn't it? Was it originally written in the 30s? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's kind of, yeah, it could be 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And it's still relevant now. So, yeah, 1984. Crazy. So, if people want to find out more about the Cancer Coach, the Tree of Life, where would they go? Uh, really simple, thecancercoach.org. We, we did a new website, got released a few weeks ago, where we put what we're doing as the cancer coach products and services, the health coach, and we've also put the tree of life there now. So it's all consolidated on one website, thecancercoach.org, and you can get access to everything. Tree of life right now is you can register for free, and if you register for free right now, you get access to the first module, the complete program of what content module one, and all the other features that we've spoken about, access to the community, access to the resources. So that's completely free right now. And I think it's double check, and I'm pretty sure if you wanted to continue Tree of Life journey and open up all the other modules, we are, I think we're billing it at £20 a month which is, we think is very low barrier. I, I know times are tough at the moment, but we genuinely, genuinely believe that it's a very good value of this, 20 pounds a month. And obviously you just keep the subscription going for as long as you need to do. Uh, you could blast through the content in the month, I guess, if you really wanted to. Wouldn't recommend it, but I guess you could. So yeah, it's a very, as I said, we said before, it's a very financially friendly way to engage in, in this conversation on responsibility and health accounts. And is that open to anyone anywhere in the world? It is. Yeah. You can go to the website, cancercoach.org, and you'll have a true life section. You just click on the button and you can access it as a web-based platform, either not from your laptop, or you can download our app and access it from your mobile or tablet by oh. app. Just before we finish, is there anything around the cancer coach or tree of life that I haven't asked you that maybe you think it would be useful for people to know? I would say that the amount of work that's gone into creating the curriculum and the program, uh, anybody who has ever been curious about the role of lifestyle and chronic disease, if they take it upon themselves and to consult Dr. Google, can find it incredibly overwhelming and contradictory. Mm. A lot of time, effort, money, resources has gone into making sure that the program bill is non-contradictory, that it is backed up by the relevant sources, has been overseen by experts in oncology, behavior sciences. We've had cancer advocacy groups, uh, survivors, health coaches, go through the program in real fine detail. And the program is not going to cure cancer. It goes without saying it's there as to create a baseline of resources that allows people to engage with as much as they want and to put it into their day-to-day lives. But the program itself is you know, it's a wonderful series that has been built with the absolute best of intentions, and we are very confident it's going to be successful. So anyone who's curious about 
the role of disease, yeah. of lifestyle and environment and disease, including not just cancer, a lot of metabolic based diseases will also be influenced by the tree of life program. So heart disease, diabetes, immune conditions, uh, obesity, asthma. A lot of these conditions can also be improved upon by, by working with the tree of life. Uh, and I think that's an important distinction to make. Finally, Luke, so I can let you go back and watch the, the ashes. What is, you have a, a quotation that you particularly like? I do. It is, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. It, it works on so many levels, but essentially, like what we're talking about with a, a way of life, change is tough. And I've seen a lot of people not being able to maintain it because they were not able to complete it to their perception of perfection. And really just continuing that constant consistency is far better for you, small sustainable steps than trying to aim for perfection. And don't, as I say, don't let, you know, the aim of perfection get in the way of the progress that you're all making. By listening to this podcast, you're taking a small step because you're curious. You're interested to know what this guy in Thailand is talking about. Just, yeah, don't actually get in the way of progress. Thank you, Luke. But this is going to come out in a couple of weeks' time. So by the time you hear this, you'll know the result of the ashes. Or anyone listening will ah, know the result of the ashes. That's, that's been before you I might need to do a follow-up <laughs> if we won. <laughs> Luke, thank you for your time. It's been fantastic. Next week, it's episode 229 with Gina Dallison. She's been living with some very challenging symptoms of multiple sclerosis, but it didn't stop her living life to the full, and she's put her positive approach to life down to her beliefs. She completely believes it's possible to heal fully, and she's nurtured that belief so it's become her truth. She has a a very deep personal understanding to the power of belief, so we get into you know, what is belief in the healing journey. She, so she supports others now, empowering and healing their beliefs through her talks and her coaching programs. And her positive, proactive attitude to living life fully when challenged with a chronic illness such as MS, it just shows it's even more important and definitely helps healing and recovery. So, that's next week's episode 229 with Gina Dallison. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Please do subscribe. Do leave us a review. It uh, plays a big role in more people get to know about the podcast when people leave reviews. And I hope you have a fantastic week.